Uh, If you've got a Bible, you might want to start turning to uh, the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, We're taking a break from the In Christ series this morning. Every now and then we call them in our Diary Vision Sundays. Just really kind of breaks in our our sermon series and things like that. Really just to kind of share our heart, declare um, what God is really speaking to us, if if you like, in the moment. Um, And so this is one of those Sundays. So Matthew 6 verses 9 to 12, very famous passage, indeed, about prayer. That's where we're going this morning, uh, asking Jesus to teach us about prayer, Matthew 6, 9 to 12. So good morning. If you're a visitor here, as ever, you're very welcome. Thank you for uh, joining us this morning. You know what? I'm getting a real feeling, a real sense, not just a, 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 you know, it's not just wind or anything. You know, we, we are living in exciting times, aren't we? From what I'm seeing, from what I'm hearing, uh, and I'm not talking about the uh, slightly unusual uh, and confusing election results that we've just witnessed. I'm not talking about that. I'm certainly not talking about the horrific terrorist stuff that has been going on in London and Manchester Church. Keep praying into that situation. Um, sometimes when you hear things like that, you actually think, actually, we're not living in exciting times, very, di- very horrific times, far from it. But whether you realize it or not, God is on the move. God is on the move. Uh, even on a backdrop of chaos, there are also unpres- these are also unprecedented times Uh, in terms of the history of the gospel, particularly in the midst of trials and suffering and warfare and persecution. More people, Jubilee, are coming to know Jesus than ever before. That is is an amazing fact. And although in the UK we feel like we're in the doldrums a little bit when it comes to Christianity, there is a stirring a growing expectation that God is going to break out more and more in this nation, even in Teesside. Uh, in July, myself, Gavin, Gavin, Elder Gavin, has a nice ring to it, doesn't it? Um, uh, July, myself, Gavin, Simon, Sarush are joining a big gathering of new frontiers across the UK in the great Westminster Chapel where Martin Lloyd-Jones once preached. And we're going to be praying for revival in this nation, praying that God will bring a springtime, let his rivers of flowing water uh, gush out into the nation of the UK. What we're going to be doing in July... Paul Kane, a prominent uh, prophetic guy, recently tweeted, there is a definite awareness of God's time for the UK. God has targeted Great Britain for harvest. I have sensed it deeply in my own spirit and encouraged many to believe God to raise their nation, uh, believe God to raise their nation on a powerful next wave that will exalt the Lordship of Jesus. See thousands come into the kingdom and the nation turned around and as in years gone by, again touching other nations, especially the continent. Feel the tremors, he tweets. On the back of what Jeremy brought a few weeks ago um, about a spring season here in Jubilee, the question for us, Jubilee, is are we in faith for what God is promising? For what God is declaring over us, over us, are we? Do you feel the tremors? Because faith without action 
is dead. God really spoke to me through that verse um, over the last couple of weeks in a slightly different sense. Jeremy mentioned this painting. Um, 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 I'm so glad Kirian's here. I was praying that Kirian would be here this morning. It's not like I can't share it without Kirian here, but I was praying it because she's carried this. For how, when did you paint it? long time ago. She's been carrying it for a while, so I'm so glad you're here. Um, 2015, um, and, and I've got it out regularly. And, and Jeremy said a few weeks ago, obviously that's not the case, but I found myself praying um, over this painting and the passage from the Song of Songs, the Song of Solomon, chapter 211, that prophetically inspired this image for Kyrian a few years ago. It says this in their Song of Solomon, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, the church, and come along. For behold, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers have already appeared in the land, we're seeing glimpses of that now. The time has arrived for pruning the vines, we've seen that too. And the voice of the turtle dove has been heard in our land. The fig tree has ripened its figs, and the vines in blossom have given forth their fragrance. Jubilee, arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come along. It's an invitation. We are seeing glimpses of this invitation, um, um, uh, of this prophetic spring, if you like, now with Alpha and Alpha Plus and what's going on in people's lives. Open door, the provision we heard again. Um, um, Simon didn't mention that. Someone dropped off a check the other day for 10K. Wow. Wow. Teesside Church Unity growing, are partnering across the nations. Things that we're seeing on the front, Hannah, Alice, Farner, Shalom, I wasn't here that morning, but I heard it was great. Leading us in worship so beautifully. Paul Cattrall's healing. Bill Shoulder. Um, our Christ Central family advancing. Um, um, prophetic artistic creativity bursting out. The flowers have already appeared in the land. I think we are personally seeing it, personally us, myself and Charlotte uh, and the kids in, our in the villages, the surrounding villages that we live in and the friendships around us. Just the other morning, Charlotte and Mim, they're so good at this. They're brilliant at this in terms of engaging uh, their friends uh, without ramming things down their throat. Um, um, and they arranged a baby shower that was so fun yet deliberately encouraging for one of our school friends school friend moms who said to them, no one's ever put on a baby shower for me before. This is her fourth child. A friend who came along texted Charlotte and she wrote, thanks so much for inviting me this morning. It was really lovely and a great success. Just to say, I appreciate all the effort you both made. You clever ladies had some fabulous ideas and it was great to see Laura, laugh. See you soon, R. Not me. Matthew, who's not here today, he's driving a caravan from the continent, I think, uh, back. Uh, Matthew's organising for 20 school families to camp 
together on Carl's farm in the summer. He was surprised, Matthew was surprised by how many texts he got saying, yes, we're in, we're coming. Last year we helped, um, last year a bunch of us uh, from here helped to host a charity barbecue event in, the local, in a local farm in Great Ayrton, feeding 300 people with burgers and sausages in two hours, ding dong. That was, that was, that was tricky. But raising three and a half thousand pounds for the air ambulance and Yatton House, the other other organisers were so impressed watching the efficiency and grace and joy of our Iranian brothers, uh, Jasim, Jabba, Hassan, Sarush, Matthew was there too, other friends, serving everyone as they dished out burgers and sausages all night. And the organisers this time came up to me and said, we'd like to give some of the monies we raised this year to Open Door. Is that okay? I didn't ask them. Sue and John, I think you're arranging a treasure hunt. And I'm presuming you're meaning, well, I'm presuming you're meaning, you're not meaning like a Bethel treasure hunt, are you? No. Um, I was going to say, a fun treasure hunt, not that a Bethel treasure hunt. Don't hear what I'm not saying. So invite your friends to that. Go and speak to them. Uh, Ask them about it. Jesus is all out passionate for his bride, his church, you and me, and what we're about in the places he puts us. This is another painting. Um, If you can move on to the other painting. This is another painting that I've been praying over. Alice painted it some time ago now. This is what I'm, I'm crying out to God for. Dry bones come alive. We sang it this morning. Our hearts will cry. These bones will sing. You know what? I'm getting more and more excited about God, what God is and will do in our town, in our nation, and the nations than I ever have before. What will he do next? And what God has been particularly impressing on me in the midst of these little shoots and buds is the power of prayer. The power of prayer. God, I believe, is calling us to a different kind of prayer, a sustained, persistent, dynamic, battling, fruitful, biblical, effective, intimate prayer season. Prayer that accomplishes something in God. Prayer that changes us and the situations around us. A grappling, energized kind of prayer that isn't just going through the motions, but is in absolute expectation and faith of encountering the triune, majestic, living God here powerfully. Arise, my darling, the church, Jubilee, my beautiful one, and come along. I don't know about you, uh, but I've, I've always found prayer hard. It's hard to pray. My mind wanders. The enemy whispers lies. You're rubbish. Can't you concentrate for five minutes? Sometimes I think, am I really doing anything here? What a waste of time. Is anyone listening? Am I just talking to the wall or the blackboard? What do I say next? That's one of my more frequent things uh, that I've been thinking. Lord, is, is, is the Lord just getting bored with what I say? Am I boring you, God? I'm just being honest with you. But the more and more I press 
The more and more I press in, the more and more I battle, the more and more I persevere, the more and more I also have those amazing, reviving, strengthening, powerful encounters with Jesus, the more I see breakthrough. Do you? It just works like that, doesn't it? The Old Testament is filled with prayer warriors, amazing prayer warriors. Elisha, Ruth, Moses, Samuel, David, Nehemiah, Jeremiah, Esther, others. Jesus told his disciples that they should always pray and never give up. That's enough, isn't it? One of the pillars of the early church was prayer. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking bread and to praying together. They were a praying kingdom force. So I felt God say, look at this again, Jubilee, the Lord's Prayer. Very familiar, possibly too familiar to most of us. In, the, in, in its context, before G- Jesus says it in Luke 11, um, Luke 11 tells us that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, will you teach us how to pray? This famous, famous prayer was a response to a question. You've got to get how startling this really is. For a Jewish person to ask someone how to pray would have been very shameful. It would have been an an embarrassing question to ask. These guys, his disciples, would have been brought uh, brought up with prayer right from being little kids. The Jewish people were a praying people. It was, it was a core of their spiritual life, their life with God. But when they see Jesus, they own up to Jesus. They're seeing something different. Lord, please teach us how to pray like you do. Because sometimes, in comparison, I don't know how to. I don't know how to. That's us, isn't it? That's us. If, I, if we want to see breakthrough, we cannot neglect this fundamental aspect of our walk with God. It's part of our life in the Spirit. We can't. Thankfully, though, Romans 8 exhorts us, encourages us. This is the message version. God's Spirit is right alongside, helping us along. If we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He does our praying in and for us. He knows us far better than we know ourselves and keeps us present, close before God. Lord, teach us how to pray this morning. So let's read it, shall we? Famous Lord's Prayer, uh, Matthew 6, 9 to 12. This then is how you should pray, says Jesus. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts or sins as we also have forgiven our debtors or those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. So, what do we have here? What do we have here? Well, this is Jesus' framework, his blueprint, if you like, 
for a totally new, radical way of praying. That's why the disciples were asking about it. Jesus is breaking all the rules and declaring that in me you can pray differently. Not just recite this off parrot fashion each time you pray, but rather these words Jesus shows us are a kind of a model, a pattern of prayer, more like headings which we build on, fill out, expand ourselves as we get into it, personalize, making it real in our everyday lives. So what are some of these headings? Let's look at them, shall we? So first Jesus says, Our Father who is in heaven Hallowed be your name. I loved how we started this morning. In the name of the Father we come. That's what, uh, uh, that's what Andy sang out. This is, probably the most imp- uh, this is probably one of the most important, crucial differences about the Christian faith and certainly Christian prayer. It's, it's, it's intimate. He is our Father as Jake so beautifully and powerfully declared there. Most of other religions would probably balk at the thought of praying to God this way. We find that in Alpha, don't we? Our Father, are you nuts? What are you calling Father? It would have totally shocked the disciples in, in their day too. Richard Foster uh, says this, Abba and Imma, Daddy and Mummy, are the first words Jewish children learn to speak. The word Abba, Daddy, our Father, is so personal, so familiar a term that no one ever dared to use it to address the great God of the universe. No one until Jesus. I like that quote. Question, how much does, how much does God the Father love Jesus? Tons. This much, as Joy says. And do you know what? That is true for us. Elam, Josh, Isaac, um, uh, Mehdi, Baz, Omid, as you were uh, dunked in the water a few weeks or months ago now, you guys who were coming up for, a bapti- for baptisms in July, that's what you guys were, are declaring. You're now united with Jesus. There is an unprecedented access now into the throne room of God. Why? Because you're in Christ. That's what we've been looking at over the last few weeks, haven't we? Just the other day, I pulled up uh, at the edge of the huge, ginormous um, site, Wilton Chemical Industrial Site in Redcar. Big security gates at the entrance blocking me. No entrance. No one allowed in. And then you have to speak through this intercom. What shall I say? Hi, my name's Raj. Could you let me in? My dad worked here 50 years ago. Sorry, nope. Can't let you in. What do you mean you can't let me in? Do you know who I am? I lead a big church in Middlesbrough. I'm a GP, don't you know? Nope, sorry, sir. That's not going to get you in either. Well, what about this? What about this? I'm a good guy. I've lived in Teesside all my life. I've paid my taxes. Nope, that's not going to get you in either. That's not enough. Well, well, well I kind of slip in. Well, well, I cook a wicked curry. How's that? Hmm, let me think about that. Nope, that's not going to get you in either. That doesn't get me in. Well, how about this? I know, and I am visiting Paul Winston. He's my friend. We're having lunch together. Brrr. 
the gates open. Come right on in. Through Paul Winston, now I have access to the bowels of this ginormous organization, the Wilton Center, home of business and science. Well, not unlimited access, obviously. But that's the gospel, a picture of that. I saw Dennis there the other day as well. That's a picture of the gospel, isn't it? There's full access now. It's much, it's, it's, it's much better than going into the Wilton um, Center for lunch, although that is nice. There's full access now. The gates are up. In Jesus, we are made righteous, holy before God. In his great exchange on the cross, he's taken our scars and filth onto him. Now we can approach God as our daddy, Abba, beautiful, pure, white, holy, shocking. <laughs> if you really think about it. Ephesians 2.18 says this, For through him, not Paul Winston, Jesus, for through him we both have access. We have our access in one spirit to the Father. That great warrior Samuel Chadwick once said, look, he's praying. The privilege of sons, the proof of sonship. But hey, it's more than that, isn't it? He's not just any old father. No, he's our father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. What does hallow mean? Well, it means to respect, to look on in amazement and wonder. We don't use the term very often uh, these days because there's not many people that it's worth using on. Boris Johnson, hallowed be your name. Britney Spears, hallowed. No, it doesn't work, does it? But that's what it means. And it's completely appropriate and fitting a term for God. You see, when we enter into his presence, we're not just coming to our dad, we're coming to our dad in heaven. <laughs> Think about that. On one occasion, Jesus prayed, Holy Father, in John 17, Holy Father, in doing this, he brought together uh, beautifully the awesomeness and fear of God and the intimacy and, intimacy and closeness of God that we have. That's the God we worship and pray to. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 6, but when you pray, but you, when you, pr but you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door and pray to who? Your Father, who's in secret. In Christ, we have intimacy with God in prayer. We are close. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Next he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What on earth is God doing? Have you ever asked that question? I often ask that question. It's part of my prayer time. God, what on earth are you doing here? It's a good question, really, because when everything around us seems, uh, seems pear-shaped or looks like it's going pear-shaped, asking this question aligns our prayers to the mind of God, the purposes of God, the bigger picture. If we are to make sense of this world, we have to see it. Uh, we have to see it all from a bigger vantage point. Otherwise, we'll come to the wrong conclusion. Ephesians 1, 9 to 10 shows us 
what God is doing in the earth. He says, and he made known to us the mystery of his will. It's been revealed to us now. It's not a mystery anymore. According to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to us in Christ, to bring all things, all things, what part of the word all don't we understand? All things. To bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head. Christ. That's phenomenal. God's ultimate plan is to deal with the whole universe, bringing all things in heaven and on earth together under His headship, His love, His grace. That's an amazing thing. That's a thing that inspires my prayers rather than just driving around going, parking lot, thank you, Lord. Our prayers are bigger than that. That's the authority that we have in Jesus' name. We are his co-workers in this. That's a great invitation. Luke 22, 29, Jesus says, I confer on you a kingdom just as my Father conferred on me. Do you believe this is what our four-hour vision, Isaiah 61, four-hour vision is all about, receiving Jesus with the gospel of our Lord and Savior reaching out with this gospel, this amazing joy news, His eternal life-giving, joy-bringing hope, restoring communities across Teesside, changing the landscape of this barren place through friendship and service and the power of His Word, letting His revival springs quench a desperate thirst that we see all around us, releasing everyone as God calls into purpose and fruitfulness. This is the kingdom manifesto that you signed up to, Jubilee. And this is how Jesus tells us to align our prayers. He's helping us. This is not about independence, but God-dependence. This Isaiah for our vision is like a map from God, uh, keeping us on track, showing us the way spotlighting when we're veering in the wrong direction or somewhere else. Your kingdom come, Lord. I think your is the most important word there. Your kingdom come, Lord. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The Lord's prayer teaches us to search our motives and course and direction regularly. And then we get to the bit that we all like, or we jump to immediately with ignoring all that first bit. Give us this day our daily bread. Asking God is a wonderful privilege, but he wants us to get there not from a greedy, aimless starting point, but rather out of a context of worship and relationship and tuning ourselves to the heart and mind of God. That's what Jesus' model, uh, is, uh, model of prayer is preparing us for. We're now in deep, in the throne room of, of God, in the presence of God. Now, now, ask me for the things. Tell me your heart's desires. You're ready. That's what the first bit's about. Give us this day our daily bread. That's bold. That's very bold. Jesus is saying, here, Jesus is saying here, there is, an, there is an invitation to ask in full, confident assurance. 
specifically believe in God. Big, bold, courageous prayers. Do we trust in his word? What are you asking? Jesus says in John 14, 13, And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so the Father may be glorified in the Son. Jesus' words. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 7, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Be bold, Jubilee. Trust him. Get stuck into this adventure, wonderful adventure of prayer. John Piper writes this, How astonishing is it that God wills to do his work through people, you and me. What is doubly astonishing is that he ordains or he decrees to fulfill his plans by being asked to do so. God loves to bless his people, yeah, but even more, God loves to do it in answer to prayer. What are the godly desires of your heart? What do you want God to really do, Jubilee? Have you stopped asking things? Because they haven't changed yet. What are the promises that God has sang and spoken over you that you've put on the back burner? Jubilee, God, this is a season of being bold, being specific, and to ask to your heart's content. Be focused. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. What is it? And then Jesus tells us to cry out to him, forgive us, forgive us our debts, our sins, as we also have forgiven our debtors, those who sin against us. It's a very specific thing in the midst of this big prayer, isn't it? It's there for a reason. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 2, a paraplegic man, I think I've spoken in more depth about this on um, another occasion, this paraplegic man, he can't walk, is lowered before Jesus, and Jesus asks him what sounds like a pretty insensitive question, really. He says, basically, what do you want? Can't walk. Like this for years. What do you want? What? Can't you see what I want, Jesus? Isn't it plain and clear, Jesus? But Jesus shocks us with his reply. He says, paraphrased, yes, I understand your problem, son. I really do. I've seen your suffering. I've seen your rejection. I see your need of healing, radical healing. And and you know what? We're going to get to that in a minute. But let me help you realize this. The main problem in your life is not your suffering or the stuff that's going on. It's your sin. you're not a Christian here this morning, your sin is getting in the way of life to the full, abundant life. That's a very profound diagnosis. I'm a GP, I like diagnoses. That's a very profound diagnosis if you think about it. It took me months to truly get this before I surrendered my rotten life to Jesus. Your heart at Your heart, your attitude towards God, that's what sin's all about. Rebellion, a life not trusting in Jesus, not centered around Him. That's sin and that's what truly destroys you, how you think, the choices you make, your priorities, your relationships, your hope, your security. It brings anxiety, all sorts of things. Life without God, sin changes everything. Sin's a big deal. Jesus knew that. It's banging there in the prayer. 
But on the cross, but on the cross, Jesus cried out in agony as he took on all the sin of the world and all its consequences, yours and mine, everything that you and me deserve to go through. He took it all into him and it separated him from God too. Father, why have you forsaken me? He cried out, didn't he? That great exchange that he didn't deserve and we totally did. Colossians 2, the message version again says this, when you were stuck in your old sin-dead life, you were incapable of responding to God. Nothing moved. But God brought you alive right along with Christ. Think of it, all sins forgiven, the slate wiped clean, that old arrest warrant cancelled and nailed to the cross. Jesus is God's greatest gift to us, to mankind. Now in Jesus, we have the power to resist sin as Jesus did. That's amazing. We need to militantly keep coming to Jesus time and time again, asking for forgiveness. We need to go into battle against sin daily with Him. We need to be drenched daily by God the Holy Spirit in order to overcome the power of sin. We don't need to do that stuff anymore. It's not natural now. We are born again, made new, a totally new kind of something. And we need to live in the light of that truth every single day. We're in Christ. Galatians 5.16 says this, So I say... Walk by the Spirit, God dwelling in you, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You won't. That is a promise. That is God's promise to you and me. And do you know what? He's not a liar. It's a promise. Life in the Spirit empowers you to say no to these things. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we, all of us, are being transformed into His, Jesus' likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. If you're a Christian here this morning, that is true for you, whatever it looks on the outside. And the outworking of that is simple too, isn't it? It goes hand in hand. The fruit of being forgiven is that we become ourselves the best forgivers in the world. That's how life God that's how life with God changes the church, changes communities, changes the world. Forgive us our debts, our sins as we also have forgiven our debtors, those who sin against us. And finally, and finally, there's the reality of battle victory. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, because only you, Jesus, can. There's victory in his name. This is an essential part of our prayer life. We need to always be on guard. We need to always be close to God. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Could be you. Arthur Wallace, in his brilliant book, Into Battle, he also writes a brilliant book called Praying in the Spirit. He says this, 
Um, the call to Christ is a call to arms. The Christian life means warfare. There is no room in Christ's army for those who want to play at Christianity, seeking the thrills and frills, as we often do in the Western world, but shirking the cut and thrust of battle. And in battle, praying is essential. In the great passage in Ephesians 6, on the armor of God, um, um, uh, Gavin was going to shout out all of those uh, bits of armor, weren't you, last week? But for for time, you shortened it, didn't you? Um, But in that great passage on the armor of God, Paul umbrellas it all with the power and urgency of prayer. He says this after he's listed all those things, the belt of truth and all of that. Um, and, And he says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, at work, in church, at prayer meetings, in your marriage, with your kids, with your non-Christian friends, during sickness, during celebrations, at all, uh, 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 in all occasions, with all kinds of prayers, short bursts, praying in tongues, fasting, prolonged, persevering, focused prayer, in groups, on your own, all kinds of prayer and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. Jubilee, it's that serious. It's a battle. But also a thrilling, breathtaking invitation that God calls us into. Prayer on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and victory is assured. Wow. Arise, my darling. I just feel like God is prophetically, if the band could come up, that would be great. I I, I just feel that God is prophetically singing that over us. Arise, my darling. This church, he loves you. My beautiful one. He sees all the the righteousness of Christ in you. My darling, my beautiful one. Some of you are blushing. Keith, stop blushing. (laughs) And come along. It's not just a declaring I love you. But it's a declaration that calls you onto an adventure and a journey. In this springtime season of newness, let this be a house of prayer jubilee. Will you come to him like Isaiah did, face to face with the glory of God in prayer and and do what he did, say what he said. Here I am, send me, passionately said Uh, Isaiah. As Robert Murray McShane um, once said, a man from Scotland, a man who achieved so much in such a short space of time, a missionary to Palestine Jews who saw many come to faith, a great teacher and pastor, but who who died. I always thought he'd be like, he'd look like Billy Connolly or the guy from Brave with a big beard, but actually he only died when he was 29 and he died from a typhoid epidemic. And he said this, What a man is on his knees before God, that he is and nothing more. D.A. Carson once said, much praying is not done because we do not plan to pray. Jubilee, let this be a powerhouse. That's praying in tongues. Jubilee, let this be a powerhouse for God. Let our Wednesday night church together monthly prayer meetings be packed out. 
Let's see our towns and friends and families and schools and universities and workplaces and politics and poverty and relationships and sickness changed by the power of God. Let's be a people who pray. Let's come to him humbly, desperate. Teach us again, Lord. I'm not, I, I'm not, I, I need more of your wisdom. Show me again, Lord. Praying in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers. Are we up for that? Are we up for that? If you stand. Yeah, thank you, Lord. I'm going to pray over us. I'm going to pray over us. We're going to sing um, one more song. But I just want to, I want to I, listen to this. This is what P.T. Forsyth said. Lou, he said this, listen. Lose the importunity or urgency or persistence of prayer. prayer. Lose the real conflict of will and will. Lose the habit of wrestling, the hope of prevailing with God. Make it mere walking with God in friendly talk. And as precious as that is, yet you tend to lose the reality of prayer at last. We don't want that. We want to be powerfully rooted in to the Father's throne room in prayer. We want to see amazing things for God. I'm going to pray. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for this church. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for the... um, Um, years and years of passionate prayer by many people in this room. I thank you, Lord, for the promises, the prophetic words that you've called us and encouraged us and showed us over the years. I thank you for the breakthroughs over the years. I thank you, Lord, that you've called people into the church, out to the church, serving in lots of different areas. I thank you, Lord, for a people passionate about the gospel of God. And I pray, Holy Spirit, for this season, this springtime season. I pray, Lord God, more and more people will be touched overwhelmingly by the gospel and the power of the Spirit in our villages and in our towns and in our schools and in our universities, our streets everywhere. I pray, Lord God, for the lives of everyone here to be revived by the gospel. A newness of the Spirit. I pray, Holy Spirit, that we will be If some people here are just feeling lukewarm, I pray, Lord God, turn up the heat. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll bring healing in this town, in this church. I pray, Lord God, that you'll bring a boldness to share the gospel in many different areas, through our words, through our lives. I pray, Lord God, that we see fruit, that we see buds, that we see figs, that we smell the fragrances of God. Arise! Arise, church, as we trust in you, Jesus, in this walk ahead. We love you, Lord. Amen.